Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. All right. If you have your Bibles uh, there at home with you, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read for us today Romans 5, 1 to 8. Romans 5, 1 to 8 for our sermon today, and it is this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now are able to stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces in us perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character greater hope. And hope will not disappoint us or be putting us to shame. For God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. For you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Today we begin the journey to Good Friday and Easter, which we do every year, which means, uh, you know, everything for us as Christians. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the resurrection, there is no everlasting life. Our hope is literally built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is in Christ and all that he is. Every day, no matter what we face, our hope is in Christ and all that he is. And so during these next six weeks leading up to this glorious celebration of Easter, I want to bring Sunday morning messages that simply point us to Jesus and to the cross and to the unshakable and unbreakable hope that we have in our Savior. The truth that is, that is what our life is built upon, his love and power and peace that is like none other you can find anywhere else. Our theme this year, like I said, is hope. This is a season of hope. And we have embraced this theme and want to recognize it wherever God is bringing it. Um, my father, grandfather was a person of great hope and love of Christ, looking for opportunities to share it with other people. Um, he noticed people. He literally was friends with all sorts of different types of people from all different walks of life, painters and musicians and teachers and pastors and homeless folks and civil rights leaders, even a past president, he knew, and a postman and a neighbor and a high school senior who would come and visit with him every week for tutoring. My grandpa made friends with a whole host of different people, and he made friends fast. He was just that kind of a guy. He was very kind and compassionate. On the night that Carrie and I got engaged, Um, Our family all went out for dinner, and the waiter had just had the worst day ever and opened up a little bit about it at our table. By the end of the night, Grandpa was praying with him with his arm around him. Grandpa saw people. He had that gift. He saw people struggling to find hope or needing a hand, and Grandpa always seemed to have one to give. Well, these six weeks, I guess the goal is that I would have is that help us to reconnect 
but the hope that we have inside of us from our Savior Jesus Christ, the hope and the love that he came and he has poured out into our life and then to challenges us a bit in these weeks to look upon others like my grandpa did, not so self-focused that we fail to see who's around us. It may even be the waiter and what God may be wanting to do in us to help them and how he might want us to bring a little bit of prayer or kindness, compassion or witness to somebody to point them to the hope that we have in Jesus. A powerful scripture that the men's group, which meets on Wednesday nights, has been thinking about lately is a verse that simply says this, God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Every person, he wants none to perish. From the most adorable child that we would all love to the most vile sinner that you can think of, our God cares about and loves each one, and our Savior died for each one. He wishes none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And that means you. You are loved by God, and so is your neighbor. Well, the scripture I read for us today from the book of Romans is deep, and it's theologically profound. And, and I'm not a very smart person. I can get lost sometimes in the big words. But these eight verses, you know, really are important. They are very good if we can dive just a little deeper into them this morning. For the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome long ago. And those that he was writing to were mostly new believers. And every one of them was involved, it was under heavy persecution. When he tells them in these verses that they are to glory in their sufferings, he isn't just casually saying it. These people are really living in real suffering. He himself, Paul, is in prison awaiting death. They are being persecuted daily. Life is hard for all of them. But this whole section is about finding again the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the faith, the love of the Lord. It's about remembering all that we have in Jesus and how in Christ we have this unshakable and unbreakable hope even in our sin, even in our trials and our sufferings, even in our death. And it's a hope that Paul says won't disappoint us because it is grounded in the unconditional and amazing love that God has for you. A love that Paul says here proved itself when while we were still sinners, he died for us. Which means he loved you when you were at your absolute worst. That's why you can trust him. Paul says in verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved through him? In other words, if someone's willing to give their life for you when you're at your worst and your, your lowest, that is someone you can trust who's going to be there and who will save you. You know, Carrie is truly the love of my life. I am so glad uh, I'm thankful that I found her and that, that she would have me and that God brought her into my life. We've been married now 21 years coming this Thursday, March 10th, 21 years. And Carrie, unlike anyone else, and I can honestly say this, she has seen me at my best and my worst. Carrie knows my sins by this time, <laughs> 21 years in. She lives with me. She has had to forgive me 
many times. Be patient with me and bear with me. And this is truly the call of, of love. And I've had to with her, as perfect as she is. But Carrie is the closest thing that I think I have as a physical, relational person here on this planet to understanding the love of Jesus. And I don't say that lightly, but the Bible compares the marriage relationship with Christ and our relationship with him. It's, it's the closest one we have. The spouses, we're supposed to love our spouse like Jesus. And so all I'm saying is that Carrie has known me at my worst and is still with me 21 years later. And the way she looks at me most of the time is still in love. I can see it. Well, I think about that for as amazing as that relationship is in my life. The Lord Jesus Christ knows me even greater than Carrie knows me. He knows even what I've been thinking. He knows the motives of my heart, which sometimes I can fool people with. He knows the condition. He knows the secret things. He knows all of my sins. <laughs> and yet he still looks upon me every time with love. Isn't that not amazing? And he loves me so much that he even got upon that cross while we were still sinners. He died for us. You see, as Christians, our hope is not just in some blind optimism or some foolish wish or even in our own abilities to, to do right or good or whatever success, but it is based on a real hardcore love proven by the most incredible one who did the most incredible action for you. It is based on a real promise that he made, a real covenant that he made, written in his blood, shed for you. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is not built on shaky ground or shifting sands. Or It is in his blood. And so you can rest assured he loves you and what he has promised you, he will carry it about. He has proved there is none greater than him. And so this morning, I want to mention a few things that, that he's given us hope in. First thing Paul mentions here is that we have hope in our sin. Verse 1 says, we have been justified through faith. We now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom we have gained access by faith. So that, let me break down that first sentence. Paul uses the word justification. He uses a lot throughout the book of Romans. We who put our faith in Jesus Christ are now justified before God. What does justified mean? Justified means this, declared righteous. It means without sin. How is that even possible? Because as I've even already told you here, I know my sin, and, and I know you know your sin. If, if righteous means to be without sin, to be holy and to be pure, well, the Bible says that none of us are without sin. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I know that's true of me. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. And the Bible states this truth, that the consequence of sin in our life is death, forever separated from God. And so if we have all sin, and sin leads to death, where is the hope then for any of us? It's in that amazing word, justified. And in that simple action that is required of us, faith. Paul says that when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, we are justified, declared righteous before a holy God. 
we all know this, but it's important to say it again. No one gets to heaven because of their own goodness. Not one. No one is truly good but God. We all get to heaven only because of what Jesus did and our faith in him. You see, justified doesn't mean that God just ignores the sin in our life. No. The reason for our hope, the reason God is able to declare the unrighteous righteous is because Jesus took my sin. He took my punishment. He took my place on that cross. He paid my debt. Like it or not, mercy has saved every one of us. Romans 3, and 25 says, The righteousness from God comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ, open to anyone who believes in him. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, our faith in his blood. We have no reason to boast, you know, that we are better or worse than any other person for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified only by his grace, mercy through the redemption that came to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. God has not ignored your sin. Jesus has just paid for it. Well, if faith is how the Bible says we receive this gift, what does it mean to really have faith in Christ? Because many people say they believe in Jesus, but what does it even mean? What do you believe about him? Because this really matters. Do we just believe that he exists or that he loves us? All of that is great. But the faith that I think truly saves is the faith that we have in his blood. That is what we are to have faith in, that Jesus is the Son of God who came and took my place, who died for my sins so that I don't have to. And I am declared righteous, not by my works, but his. My faith on judgment day is in Christ alone. He alone can declare a sinner like me righteous. Because he paid the price. He's my peace with God. He's the hope of every sinner. I think about the criminal who died on the cross right next to Jesus. In his last breath, that man who had made so many mistakes in his life, he made one good decision that changed the course of his whole future. Dying next to Jesus, he looked over at him and he did not believe what the rest of the crowds or even the other criminal did. He believed in Jesus. He says, this is a good man. You know, and he says, remember me, Lord. And so in that, in that last hour, he made the decision of his whole life. He turned to Jesus, and that was all it took. That was all that was required of him. For the Lord said to him, son, today you will be with me in paradise. A lifetime of sin washed away in a moment decision. Carrie and I, had the privilege of leading a dear friend of ours to the Lord on our couch one evening. She was sitting with us and she was feeling despair over her life choices and thinking there was no hope for her, no life ahead for her, no hope even in death. The devil was just really beating her up in her own head. And we told her about the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. But this is what she said back to us. She says, no, you, you don't know the things that I have done. You don't know who I have been or where I've gone. God won't forgive me. And we looked at her and we cried with her and told her he will. 
It doesn't matter all of that stuff. He loves her. And the moment you turn to him and admit those sins to him and believe that he died for your sins, in that moment, all of it is washed away and he receives you in as his child forever. Your broken life replaced by his broken body on that cross for you. You're justified by his blood. His death for yours. To all who receive and believe in his name. We have hope in our sin. Second, we have hope in our trials. For it says in verse 2 that our faith in Christ gives us access to the grace which now allows us to stand. That's what it says. So we're not just forgiven and justified for God, but now as God's children, we have access to him every day. We have access to his grace and his help. And grace means unmerited favor. It means blessing. In the Bible, grace means both the gift of eternal life, but also the grace just for this day or even just this hour to get through it. His help for this, his working, his strength when we really Need it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And to that, Paul responded, Therefore, I will boast all the more in my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest further in me. For Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For he said, Because when I am weak, I realize I am truly strong. Paul is talking about grace here. He's talking about the strength and the power that he needs in the moment that he needs it most. That God is always there to lift him and hold him up and to work in the midst of his own weakness and struggles. Do you believe this? That when you are your weakest, he is at his strongest? Because in those moments you are trusting and relying on his strength, which is far better than yours. His grace is sufficient to you, for you. And so that's why we have hope in the midst of any trial we're going through. That in our weakest moments or going through our hardships and difficulties, we know they're not going to destroy us because he is protecting and watching over us. His power shows up more when things aren't going well. And we call on his name. We've been given access to the grace in which we now stand. God is with you. So why be afraid? When you're weak, you're truly strong. This is just another chance for God to prove how amazing he is. And another opportunity for God to part the sea, shut the mouths of a lion, calm the storm, or raise the dead, and reveal himself to the world in you. He works best when everything seems a mess. When we don't got it, he's got it. He's our hope in the trials, in the sufferings. He's in control. He is working. And it's in those moments, too, that I recognize you know, in those sufferings, when God is truly wanting to grow me too, you know, and there's a hope even in, in, in that, you know, Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings because this is when we're becoming more fruitful. We know that suffering, he says, produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope. So you see in every trial, we got a hope that God's using it now to produce something in us that's even greater that he can use in his kingdom, right? And so he's making us more into the character of Christ. He's leading us further into hope. Even in this current trial you're in, even in this painful thing you're going through, he's got a purpose in it. He's working it for a good. God may not have caused the pain, but he's going to use it 
to help make us even stronger and better and to bring us even into more fruit and fruitfulness. And, and that's really important. I mean, you know, how, how will Carrie and I ever grow in our relationship if we don't have to go through some things together? You know, how are my kids ever going to grow and become the people that God wants them to be and has purposed them to be if they, if they never have to lean on him or rely on him or go through a disappointment or a trial and, and then turn to him and see what he can do with it? That's, you know, we, we all want ease and comfort in life, but really it's the trials that really make us and shape us and more into his image. I mean, how am I ever going to grow as a pastor or we as a church if we don't go through tough stuff, if we, if we don't have to be challenged or face some of those fears? You know, I would like to think that I could just grow by sitting on my back porch in the springtime reading a good book on how to be a better pastor with an iced tea in my hand and my dog by my feet. Boy, those are nice afternoons. But as good as books are and, and, and that they give me ideas, it's the trials of life. It is the difficulties in pastoring. It is, the, it is those kind of things where I'm in over my head and I got nowhere else but to say, Lord, help me, show me the way, and I dig into him. That's when I really grow. Hope and faith and love, they're like muscles and, and that, that don't become strong unless tested. That is why our scripture says we have hope in our trials. Because as God's children, one, we have access to the grace of God in those moments. And, and it helps us to stand the help and support and presence and power of the Lord that will come and help us. But also, he's working those things out to accomplish his purposes and to, to more than we ever thought possible he's making us into the people into the light into the into the opportunities where he can really be revealed in the world so we have hope in our sin we have hope in our trial and third we read here that we have hope in death and and this is really interesting to me in this scripture here in romans 8 or romans 5 i mean that paul actually uses the words not hope in death it says hope in the glory of god death wasn't death it was glory it was entering glory entering the glory of God the kingdom of God to be with Christ that's how he he saw it that's how he looked at it for for we believe that Christ was risen from the dead and death has now lost its thing it's lost its power over us death has already been defeated and so when a believer in Christ passes away they go on to glory they're risen up into paradise the New Testament writers and apostles and believers, they didn't look like on death like we sometimes do today. They were almost looking forward to it, <laughs> to victory, to, to, the, to being with the saints, to, to, to waving the palm branches around the throne. They even welcomed death. Well, in Philippians, Paul speaks of, of dying. He speaks of it as even better than living. And it was not because he was so depressed. He wasn't. He says in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, If I'm to go on living in the body, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I mean, really hear there what Paul is saying about life and death. For him, death is gain. It is better by far. It is not a sad thing, but a welcome thing in his life. Now, 
It is normal for us to grieve when someone dies. I do it. I miss them. I love them. But if that person was a believer in the Lord, then the cliche is completely true that they are really in a better place. Why would we want them to stay here? <laughs> Even if they were only 40. For everything we read in the Bible about where we're going is far better than anything we've ever had down here. And don't get me wrong. <clears throat> Again, I love my life. I love being outside in the springtime. I love my family. I love my work. I love my car. I love planting flowers and watching baseball and building trains. I'm blessed. I'm thankful. I want to be able to stick around and watch my kids grow up and someday maybe even have grandkids. I don't know. All, all that sounds great. But at the same time, I'm not afraid of death. And if the Lord calls me home tomorrow, I'm ready and I'm even excited. Because I get to be with Jesus. I get to see heaven. Why don't we talk about death the same as they did in the New Testament? Don't we believe that when you die, you get to go be with Christ? Don't we know that is better? Is it possibly that we love this world a little too much and have forgotten that this is not our home? This is the wilderness on the way to the promised land. We're going somewhere that we aren't yet. My hope is in the glory of God, and I can't wait. It's not that I don't enjoy today or that I'm not committing to trying to serve and help the poor and make the world a better place and preach Jesus. Oh, that's so important, too, and the glory of God is seen in those things, too. But I am deeply thankful for where I'm headed, knowing that when we die, we don't lose, we gain. And a lot of people in this world live in suffering and pain and sickness and abuse and hardships and war. And it's no wonder that many people are depressed today because they think that maybe this is all there is and it isn't that great. But that is why our hope is in the glory of God. It's in what is coming. It is looking forward. So many Bible verses tell us that the pain, when the pain is the greatest, you know, when life is the hardest, we're to fix our eyes and our hope, not on what is temporary, but on what is eternal, knowing that tomorrow is going to be far better than today. For he has gone to prepare a place for us, and he will come back to take us to where he is. So to live is Christ. To die is gain. To be with Christ is better by far. For where he is, there is no more sickness, death, evil, war, sadness, or depression. So our scripture reminds us that we have hope in our sin, for by faith we are justified, declared righteous before God by Jesus' blood. We have hope in our trials, because in them we're given access to his grace, his presence, his power, his love in our time of need, and he is growing us in this time. And we have hope in our death, for the glory of God awaits those who believe in him. What is coming is better by far. But the last thing about hope that I wanted to share with us is found in verse 5, where Paul says that our hope in Christ, so great, does not disappoint us. There are so many things that disappoint us in life, is there not? So many things that I hope for that just don't come true, that aren't ideal, that aren't as I would have them, where I'm left disappointed, expectation not met. Life is full of disappointments, letdowns. We had hopes or expectations of a friend or, we, or wished people had responded differently 
than they did, even our own self. Our hope in humanity is dashed. We want, wanted that spot on the team or wanted to get this job or our hope that this sickness would, would end or that this thing we cared about wouldn't happen, but then it did. We all face many disappointments in this life. But Christ is not one of them. Christ does not disappoint us. He exceeds our expectations. He does more than we ever thought or imagined. The hope we place in him for life and forgiveness of sins and our help and our troubles and, our, and in our death, we will not be disappointed. He is forever faithful. His love is different from the broken loves we have had in the past and the his promises, he keeps every one of them. He keeps them to a thousand generations. His love, even when you make a mistake. His mercy is always greater. His power constantly impressing you. He constantly does more than we thought possible. We have his spirit in us. We have his word, his covenant, his blood. He does not disappoint. You can trust the Lord. He won't fail you. And this is truly the key, I think, to hope. It's that word trust. It all comes back to trust. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. Trust and hope are often interchangeable. They're working side by side. You can trust the Lord and therefore walk in his hope. He will not fail you. Paul tells us why in these verses that we can trust him. He says, because he died for you. Paul reasons with them in verse 7, saying, Rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but for a good one, someone may die. But God demonstrated his love, and that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. It comes full circle here. Paul is saying, this is the reason you can trust him. It is his love revealed on that cross. If he was willing to do that for you, when you were at your lowest and your worst, there is nothing he's not going to do for you. He took nails for you. That's someone you can count on. He is hope for the sinner, hope in the trials and the suffering, hope in our death, the unshakable, unbreakable hope and love of Jesus Christ. He won't disappoint. Trust him. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you are able to join us in worship again soon. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church programs and events, head to bccwaverly.org.